Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting EXIT PLAN with no spaces to 44222. That's EXIT PLAN to 44222. Again, text EXIT PLAN to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and you know, my pleasure to have you with us. Uh, it's always fun when we have repeat guests, and uh, my next guest has been with us uh, a couple different times. Uh, we're going to talk about some very interesting uh, ideas for business owners here coming up. So I want you to pay attention. If you don't already have a pen and haven't been taking notes, why not? Uh, get, get a pen and a pad and take some notes. My next guest is John Warlow from the Value Builder System. He's a founder, he's, a, he's an author, a best-selling author, by the way, uh, and he's in the business of improving company value. And today we're going to be talking about a new wave of research into small business owners and their readiness to exit their business. And it, as it turns out, three and four owners end up regretting the decision to exit their company just one year after their sale. John, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Thanks for having me, Bill. It was what a pleasure to listen to Carrie on the back. It was just amazing just to listen to all her tips. Tons of great stuff. Well, I know you're out speaking a lot. A lot of our a lot of our listeners are advisors that want to get out and speak. And uh, my gosh, yeah. uh, it's it's you got to know the game. <laughs> just oh, man, just like amazing. what we're going to talk about. Feverishly you know? taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, John. Uh, it's always a pleasure. You know, I, uh, I, I've been a, a, a member of your organization and a student of your teachings. As a matter of fact, I talked to a group of, of uh, business owners just the other day and highly recommend that they get your book, Built to Sell, because what a great book and what a great uh, 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 analysis you help them, assessment you help them do. You've, you've been really interested and, and useful in helping people assess their their sale readiness, they're building their value. What what does it take to look like a good candidate in this ever um, more competitive business sale uh, climate that we're moving into? But this latest research is pretty mind shattering. So let's get into that in a second. But first, John, tell us or tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what you do at the Value Builder System. Yeah, we work with business owners to help them improve the value of their company leading up to an exit. And our business model is to license our platform to advisors like yourself who, who use it with their clients. So that's what we do. I, you know, I was inspired by my own personal experience having, having built and sold a couple of companies. There's just so little information about the sale process because usually, as you know, Bill, like when you go to sell a company, you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement and you promise, you know, that you'll never talk about it ever again. And as a result, you know, unlike the large enterprise market where these deals are publicized, no one knows what goes on behind the scenes in the sale of a small to medium-sized business. And oftentimes, as a result, because it's opaque, owners get completely taken advantage of. And so we're trying to change that. We're on a 
kind of 30-year odyssey to, to, to fix that. Yeah, and, and beyond that, John, I think what's really important about your work is that um, it's been said, and it's, it's, it's borne out by interviews I've done, and I'm sure that you've heard, that 9 out of 10 business owners don't, that go to sell don't sell their business. Either they get dejected or rejected along the way, <laughs> and they end up yeah. having to continue their business. And so you, what your work does in the Value Builder is help people may, uh, create more sustainability and transferability. Sustainability meaning that uh, if they're going to get bought out on, you know, on a year-by-year basis by a family member or a key employee, that business has to be sustainable. It has to be in a position to, to maintain so they get their payout. And if they're transferring it over to somebody else, it has to be ready to transfer. It can't all be in the owner's head. So you've done some just uh, amazing, great work there, and I really commend you for all of that. But now what, what about this latest research you're finding out that, that, uh, that people aren't happy uh, just a year after they sell their business? Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, uh, Exit Planning Institute has just released some data as well. Uh, three and four, as you mentioned off the top, business owners, when surveyed just a year after they sell, say they end up, they, they regret the decision to sell. And if you think about that, that's, I mean, this should be the happiest day of their life. They should have uh, fond memories, but many owners, you know, look back on their exit with profound regret. I mean, you would have had Bo Burlingham, I'm sure, on the show, uh, Finish Big. You've had him on before, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and so Bo yes. talks eloquently about it in his book. So we started to dig into this, and, um, and we discovered there were these kind of four major things that, that lead owners to regretting the decision to exit. And the good news is, is if you think these things through in advance of selling, you can end up looking back without regret and obviously feeling really good about your decision to sell. But if you, if you don't tackle these four major things, uh, the chances that you're going to end up regretting your decision uh, tend to skyrocket. Very interesting. Uh, and uh, having worked with a lot of business owners, uh, you know uh, and you've heard that you know, people uh, are really, really uh, concerned that their business is their baby and, and they're turning that over to someone that might come in and fire people or destroy a culture or alienate customers can be a very, very painful thing to watch. So I imagine those factor into it, but let's talk about it. First of all, what, what, is, what is pre-score? This is the name of the, the uh, analysis, I take it. Yeah, so pre-score is a tool we've developed that owners can use to understand how personally ready they are to exit their company, a set of, set of questions to see how you're performing on these, on these four drivers. And you're right, one of them uh, really relates to uh, you know, how personally involved the owner's ego is in their company. So one of the four drivers is what we call personal detachment. So when we've seen this right in our own work, you, you have an owner who's who has been you know, run their company for 30 years, their name's on the door, they sponsor the T-ball tournament, everybody recognizes them when they walk down Main Street. And as a result, the, the kind of chest, chest puffs out because they're the owner of that business. And their ego is so intertwined with that, their sense of self-worth, who they are as a person, that, that, that leading that company is like lopping off an arm. It's, it's virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. And so what owners need to do is start to cultivate uh, a sense of self-worth. I sound, even saying this, I feel like all kumbaya and woo-woo, but they need to sense a, self, a self-worth, like a, get a sense of kind of who they are 
outside of their company. Um, you know, you know, you know, again, start instead of most of us as owners think, oh, I'll I'll take up golf when I retire, or I'll, I'll travel yeah. when I when I when I sell. The trick is getting that stuff done now, so that you start to cultivate these other hats of your personality and derive personal satisfaction from them before you sell. That's one of what, the big what are, sure. Yeah, yeah, and and I've been, you know, I've talked to, uh, I've been called into companies, John. Uh, I've been called. In, I'm thinking of a particular company. The owner was in his 80s. The CFO um, called me in to see if I could talk the owner into not coming into work because he, because he was starting to lose some of his mental capability and he wasn't contributing anymore he was changing his mind a lot it was it was becoming painfully aware that he was no longer of the value that he was to the business as some days you know some years earlier and when i interviewed the owner he said all I've done for the last 50 years is come to this office and work. I don't have any of those outside interests or hobbies. I don't, you know, and that, that's probably an outlier in the study. You're going to always have people that just don't have any interest to do anything else. But but what happens when somebody finds out they, they don't have any outside interests? How do they go about finding what some of those interests might be? I mean, the natural thing to do is to go back to think about what you did when you were a child. I know that sounds uh, perhaps uh, juvenile, but I mean, did you like kicking around a soccer ball? Did you like traveling after college? Was that something you enjoyed? Did you like reading? Did you, I mean, what did you do when not forced to do something? Uh, what did you naturally gravitate towards? Because those things I think are hardwired. Those things are kind of who we are as people. Uh, so I think that can give us some clues. You know, one of the other drivers relates to this personal detachment. One, one of the other drivers, uh, uh, one of the other four, and it's it, it's 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 having a future vision. So what we find is when owners think about starting to sell their business, when they're starting to think about an exit, they're all push factor. And what I mean by push factor is they're all things like death, disability, uh, you know, they're all oh, you know, yeah, things that yeah. are pushing them out of their business, right? Um, you know, they're sick of taxes, they don't, regulation, they're frustrated by employees, all the problems. And what we try to get them to do is start to think about the pull factors, right? So if you're all push, a year later, you're going to end up re regretting your decision to sell. But if you have some pull factors, in other words, things that you're, you're excited to go do, that are, you're being drawn to. I remember I do, this, I do a little podcast, and I interviewed a guy named Sean Oshman. And it's still the most popular episode we've ever done. I think I've done 200 of these episodes now. And this guy, Sean Oshman, is the number one episode. And he was 39, a business owner based in Colorado, and decided that he didn't want to live in a landlocked state anymore. In fact, he wanted to go live on a sailboat. And he said, I'm 39. If you can sell my business by the time I'm 40, he told his broker, I'm out. And the broker came back and got him a relatively muted, you know, somewhat ordinary, I think he got 2.6 times SDE or seller's discretionary earnings for his company. So, you know, like a, a pretty average multiple for a small business, but not – you know, hit it out of the park multiple. And he took the money, bought his sailboat. And if you talk to Sean today, he is happy as a clam. And it's not because he got some astronomical multiple for his company. And this is where I think owners go wrong. When, when we survey owners, they tell us their number one concern around exit is not getting what their company is worth. And while I think, obviously, I started a company driving, helping company owners drive value, I think that's important. But if that's your only factor going into your exit, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment. I mean, Sean Oshman 
got a relatively, you know, average multiple, yet he's happy as a clam living on a sailboat um, because he had something he wanted to go do, something that he was being pulled towards, not just things that are pushing him away. I love it. So, so as you mentioned, if you're, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, a lot of business uh, owners go to their business broker or M&A person and they get that, here's what I think I can sell the business for, and that's where they get dejected. They get rejected when their business isn't ready because they haven't done the value builder uh, exercises. But they get dejected because they think, oh, I, I can't sell it for that, or, or that's way less than I thought it was worth, so I'll hold out for more. And unfortunately, sometimes sometimes that works out, but a lot of times that doesn't work out. Markets change, health changes, employees leave, mar- you know, different things can happen. So if you have that vision and you're moving towards something, you're going to be a lot more excited about the transaction happening. So I love that. So pull, not pull, uh, find things that pull you, uh, not not dwelling on the the things that push you. Great. What's yeah, number you, three? It's- Oh, number three relates to, 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 to making sure that you create a market for your company. You know, if you talk to owners a year after they sell and you say, hey, like, what did you get for your company? Do you think that was fair? Oftentimes they'll go, I have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I have no idea if I left money on the table. Why? Because they sold to the first person who was willing to buy it. They got one offer. Mm-hmm. They quickly mm-hmm. signed a no-shop clause, which means they can't go you know, get competitive offers for their company. And then they, a year later, sit back and go, maybe I left money on the table. You know, I got four times earnings, which at the time I thought was great, but maybe I could have gotten eight. You know, and they hear yep. on the golf club that, that somebody got ten times, and they're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I just left so much. And so the big yep. mistake here is not creating a marketplace. And the, the biggest reason owners don't create a marketplace is that they go into the sale rigidly, wanting all cash up front, the day they, they close the doors. So, you know, they, they have this view that selling a company is like, I get a check with lots of zero as I hand over the keys. and I never you know, step foot in the company again. That's not reality, right? Most owners will have to you know, stick around for a period of time to help the new owner you know, transition into the business, right? So the, the right, old owner right. will have to finance part of it or earn out or something. Um, but if you're too rigid going into your exit, you'll turn off 95% of potential buyers you won't create a market. And as you so rightly say, nine out of 10 businesses listed never sell. Why? Because so many owners really are coming at it with the sense of rigidity as opposed to flexibility. So that's another driver. Yeah. And that's a great one. And of course, uh, with what's happening, the baby boomers uh, aging pattern moving into the next uh, decade looks like from my perspective, and I'd love to hear your input on this, uh, and I, I hear a lot of economists dealing with uh, groups like Vistage Worldwide and others that say, hey, uh, uh, whatever's happening in this next recession period, it's probably going to be pretty mild. What you need to keep your eye on is what might happen in 2028 through 2030 when all the baby boomers go on Social Security. That's where we have some real economic problems. And, of course, that kind of drives a lot of uh, current baby boom owners to say, well, if I don't sell now, I, I definitely need to be in the market by 2025. Do you hear that a lot? And, and what kind? What do you think that impact's going to be if you don't start creating a market for, or, or a marketable business? 
Yeah, I mean, I, that's a, you know, the idea that there's going to be an onslaught of businesses all of a sudden flood the market is going to obviously create tons of supply, you know, grade nine economics that over oversupply means the price goes down. So, so that's a concern for sure. You know, I think of it as a ba- in a baseball analogy. I'm, I'm a big baseball fan. Here we are back in April and, and some new baseball season among us. You know, I think, you know, sell your company early and get a single. You know, don't you know? Don't try to swing for the fences and have mm-hmm. one company for a forty-year run and, and try to you know make a, a truckload of money on the sale of it. You know, wouldn't it be more you know more fun to have a couple of businesses through a lifetime, a single and a double, as opposed to striking out you know or just staving off the sale? So I, I think of it you know like a little bit like a baseball analogy. You know, some of the yeah. owners I talk to learn much more about business from the sale of their company than they ever do running the company. And so I think there's tremendous lessons, but you only learn them if you actually put your market, you, you, you know, you actually sell your company You see what actually drives the value. Interesting. Interesting. So you've mentioned, uh, create a uh, personal detachment, uh, uh, future vision, create a market. What's number four? Thinking about team involvement. You know, mm. if there's one thing that I hear from owners when they sell, uh, you know, they'll tell me after the fact, like, I, I, I wish I had a mulligan on how I dealt with my employees. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, right. I wish I could do that over. How I told them, you know, where I told them, I totally underestimated the emotional impact on them. I didn't think through what it would mean to them personally. I didn't insist, for example, that the buyer keep our location or, you know, guarantee employment for a period of time. Like, I just didn't think about it. I was, I, you know, I was so focused on myself, my numbers, getting my number that I didn't think about the team. And again, that's a very emotional uh, response. And if business is anything, it's emotional, right? For, for owners, this is, you know, in many cases, this is their social network. These are the friends. These are family members. And so the trick here is, is to really be intentional about, about how you want to tell your employees and, and what, if any, things you're going to insist a buyer does with your employees. And when I say intentional, I'm not saying go tell your employees before you sell. That's a way to derail your exit pretty quickly. But I am saying think it through. You know, once you sell, where are you going to tell them? One-on-one or in a boardroom? What's the message? Uh, what, what's in it for them? Uh, because the money, you know, whether you get 10 or 20% more or less for your business, um, the, and, uh, the long arc of history is not really going to be material for you. But those relationships you could end up burning, which will have much, much more profound impact down, downstream. Great points. You know, and in the, in the grand timeline, you know, there's a lot of owners out there. You and I know a lot of owners out there that say, you know, in the next five years, I want to be doing something uh, moving towards sale. Uh, a large number of business owners, I think, are thinking that way. They may not pull the trigger on it, but they're thinking that way. And in this grand kind of timeline, when should owners take the pre-scores? It is as soon as possible because a lot of this stuff might take a lot of time to to really um, work on. To de- you know, you don't just say, "Hey, I want to develop a future vision." There, I've got it. You know, that that can take doing some research, figuring out what's out there. A lot of owners don't even know what's out there now, what uh, opportunities might be out there because of technology or, or worldwide um, opportunities or, or what their appetite for volunteering is or those types of things. So when should people start uh, thinking about this? the pre-score? The, the sooner you think about this stuff, 
the more you're setting yourself up for success, whether it's five or ten years away that you, you ultimately plan to exit. Absolutely. And, and so how do, um, how do uh, business owners uh, find out more about this and, and take this? And I understand you have a special uh, pricing event on this as well. So fill us in on that. Uh, sure. So, yeah, so it's simply prescore.com. So www.prescore.com. And, um, yeah, we license the system through advisors. So, so the special pricing is, is actually uh, for advisors who want to use it in their practice. But for business owners, they can just simply visit prescore.com. There's actually no cost associated with taking a questionnaire. Yeah, and, you know, if you're working with uh, people that are helping you with your planning uh, you ought to re- probably ask them if you can have access to the value builder s- system. Again, it creates a tremendous amount of valuable information for you to use as a roadmap to make your business more valuable, sustainable, and transferable. Three things that you really can't get anywhere else that I know of. You can go out and do a lot of uh, expensive coaching and things like that, but with this particular uh, report uh, and the, and now with the pre-score, you're really able to do some self-examination and the reports that come out of that can really help you to work with your advisory team to make a meaningful, uh, to have a meaningful exit. And, and John, uh, the Value Builder System, again, is a tremendous asset for people. And uh, you, you're also uh, on Twitter. People can follow you at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W, uh, or uh, on LinkedIn at company forward slash Value Builder System. Um, should uh, business owners otherwise uh, ask their advisors for the value builder system, or should they get in touch with uh, your firm directly? Absolutely, just ask your advisor uh, for access to value builder. Um, that's I think that's the the right place to go for sure. And if if you don't mind me asking, you have um, many many hundreds, if not thousands, of advisors who are implementing this system. It, it's pretty easy mm-hmm. to find someone that knows about this, right? Yeah, we've uh, we've got a thousand advisors around the world, uh, many of which are in the United States. So I think in virtually every major city in the United States, we've uh, we've certainly got someone uh, lucky enough to work with you in Orange County. So happy about that. And <laughs> and if you haven't uh, read the books, uh, uh, read the books Built to Sell and the Automatic Customer. And uh, John, you, you've just done a tremendous volume of work. Uh, the the advisory community is better for you having developed this work, and business owners uh, certainly always comment uh, to me about how uh, readable and usable all the materials are. So thank you for that from the advisor community, and it's been a pleasure to have you on once again today. Very generous, Bill. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 